Howdy, and welcome to the Feed Bandit Podcast, where we talk all things hunting and introduce you to the most innovative hunting gear and services. Here are your hosts, Jimmy Byrne and Richard Kinchlow. Hey folks, Jimmy here. Uh, Before we jump in, I just wanted to apologize for some of the sound quality in this episode. I was recording it from a horrible Wi-Fi in a hotel in Atlanta. I think the the gist of it's there, and it's uh, really interesting. So uh, enjoy! Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the Feed Bandit podcast. Jimmy and Richard here, and uh, we're excited to join you again on another exciting episode. Uh, you know, we're all fired up that we're into deer season now, and yep. uh, we're excited to get back into some uh, some things that we think will help you guys out in the field and will help us. Uh, following along in the the uh, kind of the theme of uh, last week, where we talked about. You know, duh, or I was going to say dove, jeez. Oh, <laughs> do it. I love to talk about <laughs> stupid gray rats. <laughs> well, maybe when they come back in December or whatever. But, but uh, <laughs> over last week we talked about doe and just trying to get refresh our memories. Uh, you know, we want to do that again uh, this week on uh, some more, a little more uh, deer refreshers. So how are you doing right now? you excited yeah, to do this? Yeah, I am ready. I am ready. Let's. Hey, anytime awesome. we're talking about hunting is. Uh, oh yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. It's good. Okay. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, this one kind of it comes from an uh, interesting article that we found um, on uh, the website Deer and Deer Hunting. It's a pretty good one. Y'all, none of if some of y'all hadn't heard of it. They have some good uh, stuff out there. But we thought uh, this one can kind of encaps- encapsulate some of the some of the ideas that have been floating around. For- a long time about you know how how to you know when what are, what are doe doing at certain times and whatnot and so it's just really kind of seven main points that we kind of want to run through and give our side commentary on on what what this is about and it's based on a guy who has been studying deer behavior says almost on a daily basis for almost forty years but as a hunter but as a photographer all sorts of picture, pictures of deer so naturally. He watches them, and he, so he's able to see what goes on with them and whatnot. And <clears throat> you know, and uh, one of the first thing that that he uh, mentions here is about getting a good a good idea where you are about how the weather affects uh, deer behavior. Uh, he says it's one of the most kind of important things to you know to have on top of your mind uh, when you're out there hunting deer and. Uh, one of the big things that uh, he was, and this guy's name is, uh, a lot of people out there may have heard of him. It's uh, Charles Alzheimer, I believe how you pronounce his name. Uh-huh. And he was a the pioneer of uh, the notion that the barometric pressure uh, right. is like the number one weather factor that dictates when when deer will or won't move. Um, his thought is that whitetails, you know, they can detect when that pressure, the barometric pressure is rising or falling. Right. And that whitetails typically move a lot more when uh, the barometer is moving, I- either up or down. Right. Um, he says <clears throat> there's really no – from his observation is that, uh, and with few exceptions, uh, there's little or no deer movement once a front arrives and the weather becomes really nasty. Uh-huh. But he says that when the storm ends and, say, the b- barometer rises – that's when the deer are uh, their you know their activity increases dramatically, right? Which is very interesting. And he actually they actually give you know a a, a, 
a measurement in here so that you can kind of take back and look on your your weather app or whatever for the yeah. for the weekend. Say what they're predicting is that anywhere between kind of twenty nine point eight and thirty point two nine inches. Yeah, uh, you know, it's the greatest time of whitetail feeding, as an example. Right. So that's a, that's I thought that was pretty interesting. The whole barometric, the the barometer, and you know, before a front comes in and it ri- lowers or rises, and then yeah. after it goes back up or whatnot. That's yeah. You know, it makes sense, I guess, you know, and like, and everything, but uh, just something to keep in mind, you know, for the folks. Oh, well, yeah. I, I, I think, uh, <clears throat> I mean, it, 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 I think it just kind of makes sense that, that the deer would be equipped with, with such a sense. Uh, because obviously, well, well, first and foremost, I, I, I think it makes sense because they, they don't, can't, can't use an iPhone. And I mean, that's, you know, you can check true. the iPhone for weather. I mean, they have no freaking clue. So, They've got to have that built-in sense. Um, they can't text either, which I know people are going to find hard to believe. But um, so, yeah, that 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 definitely doesn't surprise me. You got you got to think about it, especially a lot of the deer up north. You know, if you know how they can get these these random snowstorms, like like what was that one we were talking to? Oh we yeah, talking, the, uh, uh, the 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 yeah the 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 Arctic blizzard that was like fifty yeah. below. You know, obviously, with the it, with double that, time, yeah, double time, yeah. When 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 that was coming in, uh, I'm sure that the deer were alerted, you know, via the barometer and said, "Listen, you got to start, you got to start preparing." So I think that's a it's a natural thing. It's very similar to the ducks, you know, those 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 stupid sky rats. When uh, you know when when they when they sense that the the weather's changing again, probably the barometer, they're out of there, they're gone, they're headed south. Um, so it's, it's really, it's a, it's a cool feature that nature has provided to the critters. You bring a little, little science into hunting. Oh yeah. A little more of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, The second one was interesting is, uh, how bucks use scrapes. So his observations around this, is kind of interesting and it ought to help you kind of figure out where maybe an ideal spot to sit is. And some of them aren't, aren't necessarily like obvious. Um, As an example, uh, he has uh, really four different types of scrapes in his in his observation. That's boundary scrapes, random scrapes, primary scrapes. Uh, and what's interesting about uh, each one, so the boundary scrape, he says, are really, they're made uh, by bucks that are really just traveling through their territory. Oh, and mainly they, they show up along the edges of fields or old roadways. Yeah. And they're typically always made at night. Mm-hmm. So in his opinion, he kind of, or in his experience, it's it's okay to kind of not pay as much attention to those uh, because it may not be probably uh, a buck that you're going to either see again or one that, uh, you know, if it primarily happens at night, maybe they're traveling that spot at night. So it'll be harder for you. You know, you won't kill it then, obviously. Yeah. Right. So he says to kind of focus on, obviously you want to focus on scrapes, but you want to be aware of the, the second type, which is, is pure scrapes. And <clears throat> those are ones that you want to kind of try to identify that are really made just spontaneously as a buck right. cruises around his entire territory. Yeah. So he'll uh, make a random scrape as an example uh, when he comes upon, upon an area like a licking branch or, uh, you know, it, is somehow moved away by someone else or some other reason or whatnot, but they're not necessarily like what's considered by a buck to be like a permanent, permanent area that they travel as an example. Right. 
So setting up there may not may may not be as beneficial to you. So really, you want to find the the primary scrapes, uh, what he calls the mother load of whitetail scrapes, oh. <laughs> and they're normally found really around like strategic locations or inside corners or ridge lines or well-worn trails, which makes sense. I mean, that's what we all kind of think of, right? You, yeah. you find a, a good trail and look for that scrape. More than likely, it's a, it's a primary scrape, you know, and it could be between uh, bedding and feeding areas, especially during the rut. So right. you can get a good idea looking at maybe that path. You find that scrape. that look, That's a primary scrape. You could set set around there because maybe you're between the feeding and the bedding area, so you'll catch it on the move. You right. know, so, uh, and a lot of times, to help you identify that, he says, look for scrapes that are about 20 or at the most 50 yards apart from each other along that line. Right. And then you know or you have a great idea that you're in that pathway. So that's probably a honeypot area, if right. you will, for, yeah. for bucks. So that, that's interesting. No, it it really is, and I've really never dove into the science behind them. But you know, the the only problem that I've got that I've kind of thought about when it comes to scrapes is you know if you've got if that buck's got a you know three mile you know square mile territory, you know what are the chances of you being there when when he's there? So you know what 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 can you do to combat that? I think that's where your your game cameras come in. Of course, you know you run the you run the risk of putting your scent everywhere if you're in there. That's true. Um, you know, so, something that something that I have I have done, and uh, truthfully, is I've not done very much, but I've seen it, it, it is very entertaining. It, is during the rut, instead of using, um, you know, instead of you know, making a mock scrape or something of that nature, one thing I like to do, and especially when when they're in the rut, um, is 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 get some of that doe and rut lure. You know, and I I'm not partial to any particular brand okay but you know get some of that and put on a little wick and and you know throw it out there in front of your setup and really when that wind starts to starts to spread or starts to blow it's going to blow that scent all over the place uh and i i found that to be effective just to just to bring in bucks that are out there hunting you know Mm -hmm. uh I, i know a lot of guys that like to sit all day during the rut especially when the weather's you know good and cold uh that's been really effective i mean you have a whole bunch of deer just kind of come out of nowhere because of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting uh, stuff, you know, where you can combine a lot of these strategies with just All some <clears throat> you know, anecdotal and you know, observed evidence, you know, and everything. It's everything you can do to help you out, right? Oh, for <clears throat> sure. For sure. Hey, hold on one second. Hey, folks, do you want to level up your hunting game and gear? If so, Join the hunt to get killer hunting tips and tricks that'll help you out in the field. Text the word BANDIT to 345-345 right now. And when you do, you'll even get access to some exclusive deals on the hunting gear and services we discuss right here on this podcast. Again, text the word BANDIT to 345-345 right now and join the hunt. So the third thing he talks about is uh, knowing, you know, uh, knowing how to speak the language. So the language of of bucks and deer. Man. And uh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, he says it wasn't really be- until he began using a grunt tube alone or in conjunction with antlers that his success uh, luring deer was drastically increased. So interesting enough, he found that for every buck he rattled in, he would get uh, almost like one or twenty more respond to grunting, bleeding, or wheezing. Right. So it was like uh, it, 
drastically you know amplified his success of calling in and bucks so you know if you're only using antlers out there you know be sure to get that uh, that grunt tube and learn how to do you know the different calls and you know he talks about uh a lot of these calls in this article of course this i'll link to this article in the show notes page but he he talks about uh you know the bleat uh, or a fawn bleat uh basic grunting trailing grunt trending grunt uh, the weeds uh, you know, it just basically suggests, you know, when you, when you, in order to do that, to really look up, uh, you know, sources to, to emulate and practice it. You know, we kind of talked about, uh, you know, practicing, uh, we had on one of our podcasts of when we were, I guess back during turkey season, and uh-huh. we talked about how we practiced, uh, ahead of season, the turkey call, like just oh, yeah. sitting in your house, you know, to get back into the groove of things. Oh yeah. Similar here. It's like, you know find some good YouTube videos or something and then just oh, start yeah. practicing those things to where, yep. you know, you're ready to go when you get head, you know, get out into your, your stand or your blind. Right. So. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I carry a grunt tube with me, but, uh, I always end up, you know, using it. And then my daughter's like, I want to use it, but not now, <laughs> damn it. You know, and, and it ends up just becoming a lot more trouble and it's worth, or, I used to have it's called like a fawn in a can, you know. So it was one of those yeah, yeah type right. things, you know. So <laughs> right, I remember. Like you turn I, it over. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I, I remember, you know, I, I this is back when I was a little bit younger, you know, and I, I really wasn't. I was scared of, you know, why. I, I remember walking up to the blind late at night or early in the morning. And then I, I'd get into the blind. I'm kind of creep, you know. I'm not, I'm not creeped out, but my senses are just on freaking edge. You know that you know a mountain lion's going to pounce on me. And I remember getting in there and you know putting my rifle in the blind and you know just kind of putting my pack in there so I can get the door shut. Well, the second that pack hits the hits the ground, it, it inevitable turns over and I hit it. Yeah! Oh my god! <laughs> Scares me to death. <laughs> oh God! Okay, so, that, is, that is hilarious. Yeah, I, I basically end up screaming like a like a like a little girl, and so uh, obviously <laughs> that that little fawn call is now in my uh, my hunting locker. Actually, you know what? I think it's gone to the abyss where my daughters take all their other stuff. I give them. Right. Uh, so like, oh, I want a baby deer call. So <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, as far as calls that. You know that I've used with with any amount of success is is really the rattling ha- the the antlers. I, I've used those, and that's something really fun to do, especially with the kids. You know, in the heart of the rut, you know, if you've got some time, get out there and find a good spot, and you know, clash those antlers together, or um, or find a uh, you know they they make rattling bags now. They've come a lot. They've come a long way. You don't necessarily have to do antlers. Uh, one tip, however, is. You know, you need to use newer newer antlers, okay? Uh, preferably ones that you just found that are still good and you know good and new and have that really good sound. Uh, older uh, antlers hollowed out and it, dried out and white. Exactly. <clears throat> the other thing is, go ahead and cut the brow tine off, and you'll thank me for that because uh, those brow tines really hurt when your fingers <laughs> when you when you smash them together. So, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but calling is something I'd, I'd like to get more into. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be be kind of fun. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, the next one he talks about, and something we talk about, you know, off and on on, on the podcast, is uh, just the benefits of you know quality deer management on your property. Oh yeah. And uh, without getting maybe too far deep into that, you know, obviously he's referring to making sure you understand your property. You know, what food is out there that deer want? Uh, maybe planting food plots. 
you know, all those type of things. Right. Uh, one of the main points I wanted to pull out of here is, you know, there's probably a lot of people listening that uh, might doubt, you know, that they have enough land to do it, right. as an example, perhaps, or whatnot. And he says that, uh, you know, uh, I'll just quote him here, which is interesting to me, is that for some strange reason, most hunter landowners think they have to put together a thousand plus acres to have any kind of quality deer management program. But that's just not so. He said they did it on a, essentially 160 acres, but even wow. you can do it on even even less than that. Sure. And their results were, were incredible. So, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to point that one out, uh, you know, to people that, you know, you don't have to have a whole boatload of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, land in order to do it. And kind of what we've talked about is, you know, you want to make sure whatever you have, you want to make sure that your population, deer population, doesn't exceed that property. You know, what's the yeah. carrying capacity? Uh, you want to make sure your buck-to-doe ratio is is adequate. Uh, you want to check into the ages of your, your bucks, you know, make sure they're where you need to be. and put, uh, You know, make sure your habitat is where it needs to be, and it just leads to better hunting, uh, you know, just better opportunities. And, uh, you know, an understanding of your land, your, you know, your land, your understanding of your land is so much deeper after, you know, after being out there in the, in the field and walking through right. the trees and looking for browse and whatnot, you know, what do you have? You know, you, you'll feel better about your land too and what you're providing the deer. So it's just, oh, for, for sure. you know, whether you have 10 acres or 10,000, you know, yeah, for <laughs> you sure. Know? And, and, and something also to consider is, you know, working, if, if you don't own the property, working with rent, working with your landowner, you know, trying not to have cattle everywhere, you know, uh, you know, at certain times, things of that nature. And then if you've got a, if you're on smaller piece of land, seeing if there's other hunters on adjacent property that can, that maybe can have the same mind frame as you. Yeah. Um, that really, you know, yeah, you may be on 160 acres, but if you got two other, two other lease partners or two other, you know, leases next to you that are, are like mine and management, well, you just took your hundred and hundred acres and you, now it's 800. Who knows? Mm -hmm. So Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, the next point is kind of an extension of this, and he just so just a couple of high level things to remember. Remember, in your uh, management program, if you're planning a food plot, <clears throat> and what they what he said was a really big important thing was, you know, you gotta. It, it all comes down to the soil you have. You know, you gotta have the right soil so you have a proper food food plot, yep. uh, and you know, a big part of that is you know making sure your pH is as good as possible in your soil. And this kind of getting into the weeds, but I thought it was interesting. So people could go out there immediately after hearing this and test their soil, you know, and just see, you know, what, what is it? You know, because they say uh, a neutral pH, about seven, uh, you know, may not be possible, but it, right. it's desirable. And if you get, you know, between six and seven, then, you know, you, you'll be able to grow amazing food plots. So, like, yeah. if you're out there and... You're like, oh man, I just maybe it's we don't have anything to eat out here, blah blah. blah. But if you have good soil, you right. might be an awesome candidate to have a great food plot out there. So it's something to think about, you know, for people. Oh, for uh, sure. So yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and again, for for those of you that are you know, on smaller property or even large property, you know, see if you can get your landowner to, you know, to to maybe help. You know, I mean, if you think about it, if you, you know, if you buy the seed and help with some diesel, you know, you could put something in and then. You know, after the season, the uh, the landowner can turn his cattle on there or sheep on there, whatever it may be. You know, work work with your landowner to to try to make that kind of stuff happen. 
you know, also as far as the soil test is concerned, most county extensions, um, they can basically, I think they can test your soil, you know, to say, okay, you need more lime or you need more this or that. So, you know, t- take advantage of these, uh, these county, these extension services uh, that you've really got all over the country. Uh, great point. Point. I know, I know. That, that's, that's, not <laughs> that's why we have you on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or that's why you. That's why you host. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, hold on one quick moment. Hey, folks, have you ever wished that there was an easier way to find the hunting feed, supplies, and services you need when and where you need them? If so, check out our hunter search at feedbandit.com, where you can see what hunting suppliers are in your area or are on the way to your land. Don't waste any more precious time searching Google or calling around for feed, blinds, feeders, or even outfitters. Just use our targeted search for hunters, the Feed Bandit Hunter Search, over at feedbandit.com. We'll find your feed. So the next one is, you know, really just kind of remember, you know, what's realistic. And I think this one kind of applies a lot. Well, I mean, it applies to all hunters, of course, but especially I think when you're bringing on younger hunters and newer hunters, into deer hunting and it's really kind of understanding you know what is a realistic buck to shoot because we're inundated i think not i think i know we're inundated through all the, these hunting websites and shows and everything to see like these gigantic 200 plus right <laughs> and really got to come back to understand yeah, the harvest on my property right. and he makes the point in this article that uh, you know truly a 140 class whitetail buck should be a trophy anywhere, right? No I used to be happy with that, and also that you know anything greater than is very is, is rare, really. You know, oh, yeah. food far between under you know normal you know, uh, land conditions. I mean, obviously it's different if you're in some like you know bitter type thing or not, or you know that type of thing. But most ninety nine percent of the you know natural. Uh, uh, you know, if you you're lucky enough to shoot 140 class deer, then make right. yourself a trophy to go above, you know, your your mantle or whatnot. And, oh, I totally uh, agree. Yeah, you know, but it's so that's so it's something to think about. You know, if you're not seeing the gigantic ones that are that you see on the TV shows, you know, but you're seeing, man, that is uh, that that's 140 or even you know, even a little less than that. I mean, my God, they're right. you know, be happy with what you have. Doesn't mean you can't. Keep trying to improve your land and whatnot to grow them bigger, of course. But you yep. know, don't, don't like be down to you know, yourself or your property or whatever if you're you're not seeing bigger than that. You know what I mean? That's no, kind for, of the point of that. That point. Yeah, no, for sure. In fact, I, I I think that everybody should celebrate more when you harvest a good old mature buck, whether he's one forty, one twenty, or your if, if it's an old doe. You know, I, I totally agree. People, it's gotten really materialistic looking at all the deer and, you know, look, I killed Dr. Droopy Horde, you know, who's 500 BNC, you know. And uh, and, and, and I'll tell you, I, I get the obsession with the antlers. I, I, I think I, it's not for me, but I can understand it. You know, but that's one of the things that's kind of hurting the hunting industry is to go, oh, you're just out there trophy hunting. Well, you just throw the meat away, you know? No. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. But no, I, I totally agree. You know, when you're raising your hunters, kind of like what, what I've done, you know, you, you know, you raise them that there's, there's so much more, there's so much more important than, than the antlers. I mean, hey, antlers are really cool, but 
you know, it, it's ultimately the meat, it's the spirit of the hunt, and, and all other factors are more important than, you know, than the the, the Boone and Crockett score. Right, and they'll and they'll you know they'll key off of us as we're, we're you know hunting and harvesting animals. So, as an example, I guarantee I can't guarantee, but I'm guessing that you know the first time I kill or the first five times, for example, I kill more co- you know coals, which is what I like to kill, or you know whatever they, you know with my son Jeb when he's sitting with me, you know, and he sees how excited I am. Yeah. Getting one of those, and that thing's not a perfect, a perfect, hundred and fifty class eight point or nine, right. ten point, whatever yeah. you know. But if he's not excited, I don't know how it is to me. You know, he'll key off that and be like, "Yo, okay, it's okay to, you know, take that pull or whatever." You know, I get just as excited as I still, you know, and be like, "Okay, it's okay to get those things," and it would be nice to get others as well. But you know. I'm not. I'm not showing that I'm down on, on the fact. You know, yeah. you know what I mean. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Totally agree. <laughs> the last thing on uh, we'll kind of end this article discussing it is just about understanding how the moon influences the rut. Well, this is very interesting. Uh, we gather data to try to figure out is there a pattern here uh, based on when the rust starts or the moon cycle. It calls it. And essentially, this is a, it, you know, the what is the changes in the solar and lunar illumination to a whitetail's reproductive cycle. Oh. <laughs> and their hypothesis is that sunlight and moonlight, you know, they provide uh, environmental things that essentially trigger or synchronize the breeding among whitetails. So that's that's interesting. And what the, basically what they say is. What they found is, it seems like, or it appears, that there are basically like three ruts. So you have basically three types of ruts. So you have a synchronized rut, a classic rut, and what's called a trickle rut. And hmm. what they found, before going into exactly what, the, what those are, or going into what those are, uh, they see that basically, you know, if you see a full moon around the same, when you see a full moon on the same time, as a peak uh, in in basically their uh, dosage levels and the bucks testosterone levels, right? Then that'll be like the best time of rutting. So what's interesting is you know, as an example, when everything kind of happens, say around November first, as an example, then that's why things explode or, or appears to explode. You know, if, if the rut goes or whatever. If there's a full moon there, you know, right. it, it tends to portend that that's what's going to happen. Right. That would be what would be called a synchronized rut, as an example, when both those hormones are at the, the highest level in the full moon. <laughs> the, <laughs> the next one being more of a classic is the synchronized rut is more of like a, you know, a how often does a, I don't know, a, you know, a, a, a eclipse. You know, that type of thing. You know, I guess right. It doesn't happen every year or whatnot. But what's more often in the neighborhood of, say, November 6th to the 13th, oh. typically that pretends that you'll have a mid-November rut, which will still be great. <laughs> so, was, yeah, what was interesting is uh, if, you, if I was looking at it, and we had a full moon here on, I think, the 14th, 13th or 14th of October. Right. So if it happens about every 20th, or so, then we can kind of extrapolate the next full moon. You know, will be actually in that time frame. Oh, 
this year may be the classic rut time huh? as an nice. example. Which, which which tends to mean it'll be great. Right. Hunting will be great during that period of time. And then you have the third, which they call the trickle rut. It's basically you have a full moon a little later on, so 16th, 17th, 18th, and then another full moon that happens about 30 days later, 16th, 17th of November. And what it what that kind of means is that some of those does will they'll cue off the October full moon. A lot of them will, while some others might cue off November. So you kind of maybe a, a split in the doe population there. That, right. you know, their activity kind of queuing off that way. Huh. Uh, so that might mean that you'll have a pop in late October in the rut itself, and then another one in Thanksgiving week. So it's kind of like that idea of the divided rut in, yeah, in a way. That, they perfect. think it's cued off that full moon, <laughs> that full moon I, uh, being in those time frames. You know that kind of idea. That's perfect. I'll be in Chicago. Eric's <laughs> <laughs> <Arts> are great. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I thought that's pretty interesting how how God, you know, the the timing of that full moon and basically they're saying it could be even a matter of three to four day difference right. can be the difference between a synchronization or you know having a fantastic classical rut or a kind of divided rut you yeah. know during the year. Yeah. So another thing to kind of look at you know in addition to barometers and all that stuff, also look at the moon cycle and when the full moon's going to happen to get maybe. Maybe an idea of when the best weekend to hunt, because that might be when you know the you know the best the best rut is. So, well, I mean, and they say it can basically drop off, you know, within a day you know, right. once it ends. You know, so it's kind of it may not be right on, but it kind of give you an idea of, of factors to look out for yeah, as far as that goes. Well, truthfully, just hunt all the time. If you well, hunt every I'll, single I'll weekend, you. every <laughs> single day, you can't screw up. So. Right. There's your cure. There's your cure from uh, Doctor Doctor Spitz right there. That's Dr. right, Doctor Corn Bandit. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, that was the article. I thought that was interesting. Some oh, other kind great. of scientific things to think about to bring into your you know your hunting bag, if you will, so yeah. to speak. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's good stuff. Yeah, let us let us know what everybody thinks about that. I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, if anyone out there is actually using. Some of those techniques and how does it actually work for you? We'd love to hear about it. You know, totally. trying it. How do you feedbandit dot com? That's all I got. Yes, sir, that's about it for me too. It was a good one. I, I like right. these articles; they're fun. Yeah, they are. they are. We'll try to find a uh, maybe a controversial one. We disagree with it oh, next time. So, yeah. no. <laughs> nice. But, yeah. All right, cool. Well, well, folks. I uh, hope you enjoyed that one. I uh, hope the deer hunting is doing great for you uh, so far. Uh, let us know. Please shoot us some pics of your harvest. Uh, you can send it to our Instagram, at FeedBandit. So that'd be kind of cool. But I yeah. love that. Y'all go out there and uh, continue having a good hunt. Thanks for listening to the Feed Bandit podcast. Just a reminder to text the word BANDIT to 345-345. And when you do, you'll join our email list where we'll send killer deals on innovative hunting products and services, along with entertaining tips and tricks, straight to your inbox. You don't want to miss out. So again, text the word BANDIT to 345-345, and we look forward to seeing you on the hunt. Until next time, have a good one, and remember to support your local feed store.